every day we inch closer to college basketball. You could feel it in the air. I, uh, I had, we had our first like 45 degree day in, uh, in Chicago this week. So there was a bite in the air. I had a, a the puffer jacket out, which means, right. I think that, I think that's the clearest sign to college basketball players here that you had to put on the puffer jacket. Have you, have you, have you had to bust out the, uh, the warmer coats yet, uh, in, uh, the beautiful, uh, beautiful state of Massachusetts? Well, at, at, at night it gets really, really cold. It gets like 40 degrees at night. Dur- during the day, it's still like 60 degrees, but. No. No, we had like a high of like 44 yesterday. It was horrendous. Whew. I, know. I mean, you said that we're inching toward the season and that is a hundred percent right. The season got to get here. I mean, what, what are we doing? I mean, like the NBA starts tonight. I get you don't want to be overlapping with the NBA, but it just feels like, what are we waiting for? Can't even get like a nice preseason game or something. Providence does does have a preseason game on Thursday, uh, but against like a Division two or three team, or whatever. We need some this, some this weekend. This weekend we'll get a lot of secret scrimmage content, if nothing else. And the weekend after we have the Arkansas Texas game and the Gonzaga Tennessee game which should be interesting. And both will be televised, although I believe the uh, arc of the Gonzaga game is on pay-per-view. So unless you want to spend $10 for a preseason game, you're out of luck. Um, but we are, we are, we are truly getting there. Um, our biggest streak of streamers of the weekend did not have a final score attached, which was Loyola and Marquette. You would, you'd say, Kevin, you speak about Loyola a lot. Yeah. Don't you have a final score? I promise you, I don't. I've asked, I've asked multiple people. This thing is under lock and key. So, which there there are many ways to interpret the scrimmage without the score. Oh yeah, I remember there was I think Xavier and Vanderbilt last year, where the assumption was Vanderbilt beat Xavier so bad that they agreed not to share the score. There was another one too, I think. Um, but yeah, the the assumption when when no score is given is that it was like a serious was, blowout. Yes, it was one way or another. Or that there, yes, and I will say that I know that there were multiple players missing on the Loyola side, so take for that what you will. But I saw supposedly this is just some some guy on on Twitter said it, but he had a Rhode Island logo, so I don't think he would be lying. Uh, that Yale crushed URI in scrimmage. Hmm. Good to know. Also saw somebody said Brandon Miller had 30 points in a scrimmage against uh, TCU. I couldn't tell you on that one. This is how desperate we are, folks. We are, we are, we're any more starved for secret service content. We will get more of it this weekend, and then obviously charity games, D2 games. I try not to overreact. We've talked about this last year, I think. Um, I try not to overreact too much in the rankings unless I see something in statistics from, especially if it's multiple things, like if it's a D2 game and a charity game or something like that. If you get two box scores and they show a consistent pattern that was something you were worried about. Sometimes I will make a move. Like the the one example that I will give that I did a pretty substantial move on was Georgia. The event Anthony Edwards. I was pro- I was probably slightly higher than consensus on them, but was like okay they're gonna probably turn the ball over a bit, and then they turned the ball over like 20 times against Valdosta State and 20 times against Charlotte, and I dropped them like 30 spots just completely on a whim, and it turned out like I still didn't go low enough, but I was still like better than consensus on Georgia. So if a memory serves that year, I think I and or most people had them as like the last team in the field or like right like square on the bubble. 
And well, it was, yeah, they were the number one player in the country. Yeah, they're the yeah. number one player in the country. You're like, okay, like, why don't we just toss them in the back half of the field? And then you you would watch them play Valdosta State on ESPN3, and you're like, eh, I'm out of here. Yeah, this is not good. And I was right. Well, a, speaking of the Mount West, um, a, a scrimmage result that I sent you that I saw o- over the weekend was apparently New Mexico lost to Northern Arizona, um, which – I believe Jeff Grammer, their beat writer, tweeted it and labeled it as a wake-up call. But, I mean, different coach, different highly coveted transfers, same same story here for, for New Mexico. No, I mean, I, we'll, we'll get into the, them this later on this podcast because we are doing the Mountain West and the WCC, two conferences once again. Um, we did the AAC and the Atlantic 10 together two weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll, always funny, should we be overacting or not? I would say the earlier the scrimmage, the less you should overreact. But Northern Arizona is like an objection, like objectionably bad team. They're really bad. They they were like three thirties, I think, last year. So that's not pretty. But I'm still buying some New Mexico stock, and we'll tell you why as we go through Mountain West. As always, folks, we do um, the standings from top to bottom from the previous year, um, which means we will start with Boise State here in just a minute. Um, but overall for the league, Brad, kind of curious where you stand. I mean, seventh in the Ken Palm Conference rankings a season ago, um, four teams in the NCAA tournament, three of them with an eight seed or better. I mean, all those things were huge wins. I mean, even teams like Utah State and Fresno were top 75 in Ken Palm. But things did not go well in March. Part of that matchup-wise, right, Boise drew Memphis, who was playing like a top 10 team at the time. Colorado State drew Michigan, which had one of the best players in the sport. San Diego State do Creighton and went to overtime, had that game won and blew it. And then Wyoming was kind of limping down the stretch. Drew Indiana, who was playing good basketball, lost in the first four. Um, it's not all I, – I, I don't think you can just kind of lecture away their losses in the tournament on matchups. But I do think that the narrative that like, oh, yeah, the Mountain West was super overrated um, because Boise State and Colorado State didn't beat Memphis and Michigan uh, – strikes me as a bit harsh on a league that I do think was really good last year. And the non-conference results certainly to a certain extent proved that um, there were some nice wins in this league. And I I do think that, I do think that the league was not as bad as it showed March, but maybe not quite as good as it showed in the regular season. I I mean, it it was a good league. It was a great mid-major league. It, It was a great year for the Mountain West. I mean, like, Four teams in to the NCAA tournament, objectively, is like a huge coup yep. for, for the Mount West. Like this year, I'd be stunned if they got more than two. I think it's. I mean, it could be two plus an auto bid. Right, yeah. But like, then four at large caliber would have been a little surprising, yeah. I agree. But I, I think the league is, is certainly down this year. Unless you just have a thing for like teams ranked 80 to 100, because you could put more than half the league in that in, in, in that bucket potentially. Uh, but you know, four teams in the tournament last year. It's tough because like Wyoming did not look on the same level as, as, as Indiana, but Indiana you know had great analytics. Maybe they were under. Wyoming also didn't look on the level of a tournament team for the final month of the year. That's true. Like, they were a good team. They had a great year. Jeff Linder did an unbelievable job. But down the stretch, I mean, they struggled. So, you know, yeah, 
it, for the most part, these these are pretty close games. I mean, pe- people lo- love to play the tournament result conference narrative. Like we, we see it now with the Big Ten. Oh, they can't even get an Elite Eight team. We, we see it with the Big East some years. There's a Pac-12 year, especially when Arizona and DeAndre Ayton lost to Buffalo. I think every team lost in the first round. And we saw the, the flip side where – where the ACC wins a few games, gets some favorable draws, and all of a sudden we were wrong the whole year about the ACC. So you, you really have to just, as, as tough as it is, with the whole country watching and the tournament being what you remember, you really got to wipe that out of your brain compared to four or five months of regular season basketball. Yeah, I agree with that. Appreciate last year, Mountain West fan. It was it was really fun. It really was. Um, why don't we start with Boise State, who had as much to appreciate as anyone? Fifteen and three in the league, eight seed in the NCAA tournament, top forty Ken Palm finish, twenty-seven total wins. I mean, you you go down the list. It was an awesome year for for Leon Rice and for Boise. Leon, I think, is one of the most underrated coaches in the country, uh, and, and the job that he does consistently. I mean, this is not a program that has elite resources. Um, really, it, I, th- I think it's in the bottom half of the conference in terms of its investment. Uh, and, and if you just go through year over year, n- 27 wins, 19 wins, 20 wins, one down year where they won 13, 23, 20, 20, 25, 21, 21. I mean, that's the last decade under Leon Rice. He, he does an unbelievable job um, despite player, ro- despite roster turnover. And, and, you know, that team was really good at, at points last season. Really, really good. They do lose a lot. Emmanuel Acott off to Western Kentucky. Abu Kijab and Maladen Armous off to the uh, professional ranks. But they bring back Marcus Shaver uh, and Tyson Dagenhart, who were two uh, critical pieces, as well as Max Rice, who's a shooter, shot it poorly last year, but was a you know a good good shooter the previous year, shot 35% the previous season. He'll have a role. Uh, also bring back Lucas Milner, a veteran big man who I think will be in the be in the mix to potentially start at the five. Um, big newcomer for them, really two names that jump out on paper. Number one being uh, the kid from Texas Tech, Chibuzo Agbo, long athletic combo forward. I don't think necessarily has the ball skills that someone like Kijab or Acot has, but I think when you see that type of ad, you see them kind of pitching in that same mold of, look, we want these down transfer high major guys who um, couldn't quite crack it but will be, you know, impact players defensively who can play multiple positions. So I think that's certainly a, a an impact addition. Uh, and then also uh, Sadrek Nganga, who is a highly rated recruit at one point in his recruiting process, had a lot of high major recruit, uh, recruiting interests and offers, dealt with tons of injuries throughout his high school career and winds up committing to Boise State. Um, big like six, nine playmaking forward who, so, so another guy that seems like a good kind of roll of the dice, how much you get from him in year one, just because he's played a ton of basketball lately. That's an open question, but the talent's there. And I think they could use him to play a role right away. Yeah, so firstly, it's great that Boise State, especially to bring him back, that'll keep them competitive. Double figure or scoring guard, ton of experience. Super clutch. Made so many big shots last year. Absolutely. And then Dagan Art, who came on, broke in the starting lineup as that kind of freshman stretch four. I've seen some people say he's a breakout guy. I think we'll see if 
his style of play is conducive to a breakout, but um, you know, being being more than I, I guess he sh- he he showed more than being just a stretch four last year. But um, in terms yeah, of attacking, I'm I'm with you in the sense that like I don't necessarily view Dagan Hart as a guy that you're going to eventually build an offense around. I don't view him as a guy that's going to be an eventual kind of conference player of the year type player. But he's super, super solid, super valuable. They took off once he jumped into the starting lineup a season ago. Um, but yeah, I think I agree with you. Like, I don't think of him as like, oh man, that guy's going to turn into Mountain West Player of the Year by the time he's a junior. But the thing last year that made Boise State so interesting and ultimately got them a pretty high seed in the NSA tournament is that they had enormous size on the wings, enormous versatility. Manuel Akon and Abu Kijab. 6'7 and 6'8. Acott, 6'8, former five star recruit, had ball skills, could pass, could handle the ball. Obviously scored in uh, double figures for them. And then Kijab, more, more versatile. He's someone I figured would be playing the four for them. He's playing up with the three. And that just gave him so much length and size and versatility that they're not going to have at that same level this year. Um, you maybe like Agbo and Nganga and even like player, maybe like Najee right? Smith even. But like Agbo, um, he's he's the same style of player. But like we're comparing a guy who was like a borderline top 100 recruit, if if a memory serves, who didn't play very much at all at Texas Tech, to five star, I mean Lakeot and super proven, FIBA accomplished Abu Kijab. I think it. No matter how you slice it, it, it's a major, major step down in that area. I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and I think. And also, maybe, both those guys had been in the program for, you know, multiple years, which I think really helped. You, right. you know, both guys really got better while they were in Boise. And you know, maybe you're one transfer short because it looks like probably Max Rice starts for them at the two. Um, if, if if you just could get could have gotten like a proven like a high major or or, or even like a high major down transfer. Maybe I'd be a little more optimistic for uh, Boise State. And you went through their their kind of question marks at, at, at that five spot, whether they go young and athletic with Nganga, or they go you know, smaller with Dagan Hart and Smith together, um, or a guy like Lucas Milner who's been around, has played a little, little bit. Um, but, yeah, I have Boise State, um, obviously, in, in this huge clump from three to Nine, where there's very little separation, but I have them uh, coming in seventh. Ooh, no, no love for Mr. Uh, Mr. Leon Rice, who I just said wins 20 games like it's his job. I, I mean, he he's done an incredible job of continuously building up Boise State, but he doesn't do it every year. It's like okay, he's got this great team with Anthony. Right, but he he usually Marks. wins 20 games. Uh, like that's what I'm saying. Like he usually tends to like. I, 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 so I have him fifth in the league. I have him 82nd nationally, and it's because I, I just generally think like when it comes down to it, I'd rather back him than Kevin Kruger. I'd rather back him than Utah State and Ryan Odom. I'd rather back. I I, I think they'll be right. They're they're relatively similar in talent level. Uh, maybe you give a slight edge to UNLV and Utah State, but I think Boise's kind of cohesion and coaching uh, and the way that they run that program gave me the confidence to take them a little bit on the higher side. Um, but I, I don't think you're crazy for that, for putting them there, especially based on the roster. I, I have them right outside the top 100. Fair enough. All right, let's bring that brings us to San Diego State, the team I think we were probably 
probably spend the most time on in this conference. Uh, the clear favorite, or excuse me, we have to do Colorado State first because San Diego State won one fewer game um, than Colorado State did a season ago. So the Colorado State Rams, 46th in Ken Palm a season ago, but won 25 games. We're leading Michigan for much of the game. You know, we're up 28 to 13 at one point in that NCAA tournament game. Um, built really around two elite players, David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens. Stevens, the point guard. Roddy, the big, bruising, uh, you know, three-slash-four, do-everything guy. Roddy off to the NBA, first-round pick of the Grizzlies. Uh, Stevens is back, though he is injured. He broke his foot. He had surgery uh, last week. Um, the prognosis with him, from what I have gathered, um, is that, you know, they expect him to be back at some point this season. They're hopeful that he'll be back for conference play. It could be a little bit earlier. It could be sometime in early to mid-December. It could be a little bit later, you know, maybe mid-January. But I think a reasonable target of around the new year uh, is what we're looking at with Stevens. Obviously, that can change as the, as, as the recovery process goes on. It's very early. Um, but you're looking at a guy in Stevens who is really their everything in terms of how they're going to build their offense. Now, now out for the non-conference, which certainly is a blow to their at-large hopes. I think if you can get him back, even if he's, you know, 80%, they'll have a chance to be in the top three of the league in the right reg- in the regular season. Um, but any, any chance, I think on paper, of this team being an at-large team probably gets out the window because I'm not sure they'll be able to take advantage of some of the opportunities on their schedule. They play USC on the neutral. They play St. Mary's. They play on an MTE the second week of the year. If they don't have Stevens for those games, I think they're going to struggle, maybe go like one and four in those games. And so, if that happens, it's hard to see an at-large. But do think there's some good pieces here. Um, they were scrappy, uh, kind of in the portal. They got Josiah Strong from Illinois State. Uh, really good wiggle, can really, really shoot the ball, both off the catch and off the bounce. He'll step into a little bit bigger role with Stevens on the sidelines for the first couple of weeks of the season, uh, first several weeks of the season. John Tanjay, who's coming back, is a really critical piece for them, Six seven wing, uh, can really score in bunches, can, can go get them. He had 30 against Oral Roberts. Uh, in the first game of the year last year, they needed consistently from him. Uh, I think they're hopeful that he will be able to do that. Uh, and a couple of transfers that will help them, Pat Cartier, D2 kid from Hillsdale, um, physical kid up front who will help them. He can play the four or the five, uh, not you know an elite athlete, but great with angles and can score on the block. Uh, also, Jay, uh, excuse me, also Joe Palmer, uh, who comes in from uh, Division Three Augsburg, averaging 20 and nine is like a, 6-4 wing, going to be a sharpshooter off the bench, potentially, for this Colorado State team. So without Stevens, definitely a little bit of wind out of their sails. Hopefully he's healthy by conference play because he's one of the best, if not the best player in this conference. Until then, a lot riding on the freshman point guard, Tavy Jackson. Uh, and I think you'll see them play faster with him. Jackson's really talented, had a lot of high majors coming in late in the recruiting process. He was a you know, spring signee. Um, and you know, really good with the ball. Vegas kid, uh, you know, how, how does he navigate being, you know, again, it's a freshman point guard. That's tricky in this league. Um, so how does he handle that? I think that's why they'll speed it up and just kind of let him make reads and be free flowing, but really good athlete and can really play downhill. So uh, I like a lot of the pieces here. I think you need Stevens kind of as a star, straw that stirs the drink come, you know, conference tournament time, obviously, but uh, I don't think you should write them off in the meantime. I've I've written them off. Okay, not write them off from an at-large standpoint. How about that? I mean, so Stevens is going to be out, say, until early January. Yes. 
that's when he can start working out again, or is that when no? He no, they, they they think they, they they hope that he can play for Mountain West play. I mean, broken foot, you're going to be out of shape. You're not going to have the same explosion, right? You're going to be a little more tentative that you don't want to hurt the foot again. Um, and I was a little, well, I was, I was much lower than you on Colorado State to begin with. I had them pre-Stevens injury, I think like 91 or something. Um, Which is way too low. So I, I, I took them out of my top 100. I put them eighth in the Mountain West Oof. behind Boise State. I, I, I'm still open. Oof. To calling them a top 100 team because there, there is still a chance that they get Stevens back, but kind of similar to how I'm viewing Villanova with Justin Moore. I'm just, I'm, I'm assuming it's a zero. I, I wouldn't assume it's a zero. I would assume he's there for conference play. But, but it could be too late at that point. I mean, you mentioned that they, they have a tough stretch. They could go one and four. The while the Mount West is down, I mean, the three through nine. In the Mount West is, is is they're all borderline top 100 at worst. Which but is you bring Stevens back in the mix and they'll be team. fine. That's what I'm saying. I'm not as as as, as bullish as you, especially on, on these complementary pieces. I mean, Times was up and down last year. Strong was a solid transfer, but. Is a stronger, a best player until Stevens gets back? No, Tanjay. Tanjay, Cartier, Tanjay. Strong, and obviously like Joe, guys like Joe Palmer and uh, Tavey will be in the mix. James Morris is a good, like, steady center. Nothing, not, a, not necessarily a needle mover, but plugs in the rotation. They're really small. I think that's the biggest thing with them is, you know, they have three bigs total on the roster. Um and by bigs, I mean, like, guys you can conceivably, like, think about playing as, like, a true power forward or center. Um, Jake Jacob Jennison, the seven-footer, pours ACL. He's out for the year. So it's just Moore's, Cartier, and a reclass freshman, although he is originally a 2022, in Kyle Evans from SoCal Academy. Skinny kid, but can really pass. I think he'll probably wind up playing. They, they've thought about redshirting him, but I think they'll probably just have to play him. Um, but I, 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 so I, I think the way I would kind of navigate it is you might see Cartier and Moore start together at the four and the five. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot of Cartier at the five, Tanjay at the four, and then space it out with guards. Strong, uh, Isaiah Rivera, Jalen Lake, uh, Palmer, guys like that. And they're just going to play really fast and hunt threes in early offense. I think, I think, I think, they'll, I, I think once Stevens is back, this is still the third best team in the Mountain West. So maybe I'm counting. I'm not too confidently, but I, I only I dropped them from 63rd to 77th nationally just because I thought they'll take a bump in the first couple of you know the first month and a half when Stevens is there. But you know I, I still think once he's there, this team is the hardest team in the conference to play against, and Nico Medved is one of the best coaches certainly in this league uh, to, to, to have to deal with. I think once he's there, this team's gonna be dangerous. So, but not, I mean, were they were they super tough because they had uh, NBA first round pick? Playing four and five as a I mean, Brad, super we, weird win. We consider Nico Medved to be on the uh, miracle worker list. Three three flips. You know me. I, I've been banging that drum forever. So everywhere we, he everywhere he goes, he leaves it in, in a better spot than he took it. So exactly what what will happen here, in my opinion, my estimation. 
All right, who, who's next? Uh, San Diego State. The best team in this league on paper. I think we both agree on that, right? Absolutely. I know you don't have San Diego State as highly as I do. I don't, do you, you don't even have them ranked, do you? I'm 26th. Oh, it's killing me. It's such a mountain it's, hater. It's the curse of, of the of the anointed mid-major. You're just gonna. You just want to be able to say. You, gonna happen I, this year. you just wanted to say I did not rank. Uh, you just yeah, you you just don't want to have had to rank rank them in case. So when uh, we look up in March or April, everyone's like, "Oh, geez, remember when we thought San Diego State was a top 15 team and they ended up getting a nine seed?" So yeah, that's it, it's it's the curse of the anointed mid major because most mid major teams. And now San Diego State, I, I think, is an exception for a few of the teams I have so in the back I, of the so, top so I, so I think I think I know what you're you're gonna go for, right? You're Her saying basically, yeah, yeah. The talent, I think the talent kind of does measure up here. More so with San Diego State, um, but like think of like, like those old old Utah State teams had Danius Kata and Sam Merrill and Justin Bean. VCU teams had NBA talent too. I, I think San Diego State because they're they're a they're a defense is so strong and then Matt Bradley is a top fifty player in the sport. Right, Matt Bradley is an off Pac twelve level guy. Uh, I mean San Diego State when they got the one got the one seed had or we're gonna get the one seed or the two seed had Yanni Wetzel starting at the five. He was a bust at Vanderbilt. Right, Nathan Mensch. Like I guess I guess my my point is this. Like I'm gonna go through this lineup. Like Matt Bradley is a you know all Pac twelve level guy. Tremel would have easily went high major if he didn't go to San Diego State. USC was the other team that was in the mix for him at the end. Nathan Mensa would have chosen whatever destination if he wanted to, if he went in the portal. Uh, J.D. Allen D. was a top 75 recruit. Micah Parrish chose San Diego State over Michigan State in the portal this spring. Miles Bird was like a top 150-ish recruit. Um, Kashad Johnson was like a three-star with high majors. Like You go like line for line. These guys were high major dudes and were wanted by those schools. So I, I think the talent level... I think I, th- I think you're right in general on the point. I think with San Diego State, I think you kind of said this to a certain extent. Like I I do think the talent was closer. And in terms of why 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 can this team go from eight seed to top fifteen or top twenty nationally? It's the offense, right? Last year they were one of the three best defenses in the sport. Nathan Mensa alone allows you to do that, but it's Mensa and its scheme. They're so good on that end of the floor, but they just couldn't score. No one other than Bradley could you really rely on to get a bucket. And it was ugly. I mean, I, w- I was at the uh, San Diego State-Colorado State game in February, and it was just such a rock fight. Uh, and that was really the, the way they had to play. And I think the hope there is that with a little bit of growth from Kashad Johnson, a little bit of growth from Lamont Butler, but then the three newcomers, Darian Trammell, uh, who is the best point guard in the WAC, uh, J.D. Amadi, who has gotten – all the praise on him, and I want to temper it. I really do, but I do think it's at least noteworthy that everyone and their mother seems to think J.D. L&D is a superstar. And Micah Parrish, who is a, a double-figure scorer at Oakland, big wing who can make shots both off the catch and off the bounce. The hope is that the offense will take a measurable step forward and go from a weakness to not a strength, but if they could be a top 75 offense, this team has a final, has final four upside. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think this this San Diego State team specifically for the teams in my top 25, I I think I like I like their roster a little better than um, 
Memphis, Xavier, and Texas Tech were my 23 through 25 because of the defense. Um, but, I mean, if we're predicting how this is all going to turn out, I, I, I truly think I'm on to something where the mid-major rosters don't, don't, me- don't measure up. The people doing the preseason predictions re- see that they don't measure up, but they know they have to have a mid-major team in there. And they see that this is the one that was in the April poll. And, you know, the group thing kicks in and everyone just puts Utah State 17th. And then we look up and Utah State should have been like 30th. I mean, I, I have San Diego State 14 for a reason. Like, I'm that bullish. And you know I have not I have not gone crazy on, like, the Bonaventure hype train of Utah State hype train. I kind of keep them around that, like, late, like, like low 20s. I think this group is different because they have this weapon of a defense and this weapon of a player, Nathan Mensa, who's one of the most underrated players in the sport. Um, and look, we'll, we'll, you'll see it firsthand, right? Like, look at the schedule that San Diego State plays. Early. Very early. We will know with this group. Um, they play BYU Friday night of opening week. They play at Stanford uh, on Champions Classic night. So, well, that's a that, – that, that's a late tip, but it doesn't matter because uh, the second game of champions will be on. And then they open with Ohio State at uh, Maui, right? That first month, we will find out a lot about the team. They also have a neutral game with St. Mary's uh, in early December. So look, it goes both ways. If they go, you know, two and one in Maui and they beat BYU and Stanford, this team's going to be in the top 10. And if they go one and four, Look, like that's – then we're going to walk it back. We're not going to say, oh, they're top 15 anymore. But I think this team has a chance to be really, really good, and their offense, I think, should be a lot better than it was the season ago. I really do believe that. And we both obviously have them first in the Mountain West. Yes. Uh, is next Wyoming. Next is Wyoming. 13-5, uh, and 25-9 overall in, the, in, the, in um, season long. Going from nine wins two years ago when Allen Edwards was coached to 25 is quite the accomplishment for Jeff Linder, especially after he lost the guy that I think a lot of people thought was kind of the centerpiece to the whole operation in Marcus Williams, who transferred out. Um, Linder's done an unbelievable job. He has two elite players in Maldonado and EK, and they play a very unique style um, where essentially, like, you have to double team one because if you if you allow each to operate individually, they're going to beat you. So you pick one, right? So you double EK. Okay, Maldonado is going to go to work. You can't double him too, because if you do, then there's two wide open shooters. So um, it is very repetitive. It is not necessarily the most visible, um, aesthetically pleasing basketball to watch at times when they are just throwing it to the same guy over and over again, but you can't stop it. And that was kind of the message all year, and it worked. And they should shoot a good number of threes, Drake Jeffries was a huge part of that. He made 83 a season ago. They will miss him greatly. Uh, he was by far their best shooter. But they did add Jake Kaiman from the portal, who should help there. Max Agbonpolo, who should help there. To go with guys like Brandon Wenzel, Xavier Ducell, who were in the rotation a season ago. Um, look, it's not rocket science. I mean, Maldonado is like a 27-4 and four guy. Um, Gay is really, really solid um, and is a double-double machine. And they're going to space it out with – you know, these long athletic wing forwards and you've got this kind of weird X factor in Ethan Anderson, who I don't quite know where he fits into everything, but is 
a proven high major caliber guard. Um, I think this team should be a little bit better than they were a season ago. Will they wind up with 25 wins? Maybe not. Will they? Will, will, but I think they're better suited to actually compete in March because I think the role players around them are just a little bit better and a little bit deeper than they were a season ago. Yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully they avoid like the Drake treatment from last year. Uh, you know, the kind of surprise team that no one has any expectations for. They 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 hop on the scene next year. It looks like they're going to be just as good. And just the stars don't align in the way that you need them in major teams. Stars to align. I think their style of play with with the post up heaviness of Maldonado, especially Ek. I mean, he posts up. He'll dribble into a post up. He he's just posting up every single time. It's unbelievable to watch. I I like that wrinkle. I like that they play different, and I like how they surround those guys with shooters. Um, I'm way more bullish on Agbon Polo than Kaiman. I mean, Agbon Polo was like a legit pr- producer in the Pac-12. He's a Kaiman's great a great shooter, though. He is, but I mean, and I think he, you kind of cover his weaknesses, huh? He was completely phased out of those better UCLA teams. Yeah, and those better UCLCs were top 10 teams. And he's what? The the eighth man, you think? No, I think I think he might start. I, all right, cuz we know Maldonado's starting, we know EK's starting. I would assume Agbon Polo was starting. So I had Maldonado, Agbon Polo, Kaiman EK and then the fifth starter could be either uh Brandon Wenzel or Jeremiah Odin. But you could also put Ethan Anderson in there and hurt the shooting. You could bring Kaiman and or Agua pull off the bench. Like, there's a lot of options here. I think it'll be pretty kind of in and out. I um, I think Kaiman's a good, a really good mid-major player. I think he was just not quite good enough to do anything. Uh, he was not quite good enough to do everything else in the conference, but he in the Pac-12. But he could do it in the Mountain West. I think he's the perfect example of like a set a, a down transfer going to the right level. I mean, he he might he might have the same role on this Wyoming team that he did on last year's UCLA team. Because I mean, there there are guys who, you know, probably Anderson's coming off the bench, and then probably either. I mean, they're going to bring two other guys who started games for you know started a lot of games for them last year, off the bench. Hunter Thompson played a lot. He'll be coming off the bench, so you know he could be the ninth man again. Um. But anyway, I have I have Wyoming as as a bubble team and then last four in. I, I think most most people are gonna have them a touch higher. Um but but these teams feel like a broken record at this point, but like you look at the, the Drake team from last year, you, you really need the stars to align for these off off the radar at at large teams to become viable and doesn't always happen two years in a row i think you know the they, i think they have i do I, I agree they have more downside than people are giving credit for because they're they weren't super talented i think they're more talented this year absolutely and the the the, the analytics have them in like the 60s i have them uh 44th i have them 41st but again like i said i i i i i i will push back on anyone who does like the wyoming at 24 in their poll because i don't think that that's I think that's too high, right? I think that's just we have to put more mid majors in type of thing. 
All right, who's up next? Uh, UNLV, 18 wins last year, 10 wins in the league, top 100 finish. So not a horrible first year for Kevin Kruger. Uh, in fact, it was UNLV's best Ken Palm finish since 2014 under Dave Rice. Um, so that was that was one year after Anthony Bennett, right? So that was. Oh, I I don't know my uh, UNLV. Enough. That team oh. was Bryce DeJean Jones, Kem Birch. Huh? Yeah. Kem Rashad Birch. Vaughn was before Anthony Bennett, right? No, Rashad Vaughn. This was freshman Christian Wood. Oh. He only played like 20 minutes a game. Not even. Um, but anyway, they weren't great. Uh, you kind of think that part of their Ken Palm bump was the fact that they um, played in a Mountain West that had generally strong Ken Palms. Um, you know, Utah State is the clearest example of a team that was well inflated. But this team just never quite got off the ground. Like, they were solid the whole year. But from January 1st until February 1st, they didn't win back-to-back games. They finally did that when they beat Colorado State on the road and Nevada back-to-back, and they went back to losing, you know, one-on-one-off. I mean, it was it is truly like that all year long. They were, they were like a metronome. Uh, in that regard, they lose their best player, Bryce Hamilton, who took 39% of their shots when he was on the floor. That was the second highest rate nationally. Also lose Donovan Williams, who is a very random uh, professional departure. Um, Exhibit 10 with Brooklyn. Yes. But they've taken a similar path in terms of roster building as they did in year one, which is kind of ignoring fit and just rolling the dice on transfers, guys who at least on paper, are clearly good enough to play at this level. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I have kind of paused as whether how they'll make a make a huge jump. But, you know, I think there's no doubting that the top 10 of this team looks good in terms of the, the pieces, right? I mean, Elijah Harkless, Eli Parquet, Luis Rodriguez, those were all starters on high major teams. Isaiah Cottrell was a good recruit. He could be a plug-and-play starter at center. Uh, bring back Victor Iwakor and David Muoka. Keyshawn Gilbert also will be in the mix. Justin Webster will be in the rotation. Um, and then Jackie Johnson transferred from Duquesne, was a double-digit guy as a freshman. Shane Noel was a top 150 recruit. Um, went to Arizona, didn't play, like – there's some stuff here, right? Like talent-wise, there's some stuff here. But on paper, they're also going to start a point guard who's not super shifty in McCabe, three defensive-minded wings, and then Isaiah Cottrell, who's not all that proven. And I don't know how much I like that. And so that's where I kind of get concerned about, you know. So Cottrell went healthy, I think, had, had some skill. He shows some skill. I, I I like him at the five. And he's good back to the basket. Yeah, especially next to, you mentioned, the three defensive wings. I mean, Harkless from Oklahoma, Rodriguez from Ole Miss, and Parquet from Colorado. I mean, they were, like, legit great defenders at the high major level, all three of them. So <laughs> you think, I mean, how, how can their defense be bad, especially when some of the guys off the bench, like Ewakor and – Muoka profile as shot blockers. Iwakor e- more more versatile and Muoka more of like the anchor center type. Um, they have two 
two solid point guards with McCabe and, and Johnson. Now, I I don't think this is a tournament team. I don't I I have them outside my my NIT, but you mentioned they they assembled a ton of talent, both in terms of the starters and the depth. I I think that the talent level of the starters is good enough to get them a top three finish. Uh, I, I mean, three starters from the high major realm, all great defenders. Then you got the, the uh, West Virginia transfers at the one and the five who can score it. Don't don't think that they'll, they'll have enough shooting. And and as as you mentioned, who knows how the how this bench rotation sorts itself out, but. That that at least gives them a good floor, which I think is good enough for third, and I think I'm 82nd nationally. Yes, I I think I agree with you. High floor, don't really love the ceiling. They were one of the few teams in the country that had like a big wake up call in the international trip. They lost their first game over in Canada to a team that I was told is like a D3 level opponent. Again, it's international trip. You know, everybody's more focused on going out and getting drunk than they are on playing basketball games. But maybe like a slight warning sign there. I think Jackie Johnson led them in shots. I think that's something that's going to continue, right? Like their most important shot creator on their team might come off their bench in Jackie Johnson. Johnson, for all his scoring ability, I think he had 30 in a game at Duquesne last year. That team was awful. Like that team was a train wreck. And I, I, I wonder how much he's actually learned how to contribute to winning. I think that concerns me. I have him 91st. Basically, I think they're the same thing as last year. Above 500, probably right around 500 in the league. Maybe if things break right, they wind up, you know, top pushing for the top three. But, you know, do I see them making any sort of at-large push? No, I don't. Yeah, I, I think only only two teams are in the at, the at-large at mix. As we mentioned at the top, San Diego State and Wyoming. Agreed. All right, Fresno. Eight and nine in the conference last year, which seems like a missed opportunity when you consider the fact that they had Orlando Robinson, who was top 10 in the Ken Palm Player of the Year race. Did he get a two-way or an Exhibit 10 with the Heat? That's a good question. Um, he was playing well. I saw he was playing well in the... Uh, I believe Exhibit 10. He he, yeah. he was awesome, though. I mean, he, he actually played. He, he, he wasn't one of these Exhibit 10 guys like Donovan Williams. Like AJ Reeves that get yes. signed and cut the next day, he was in there, in there playing both summer league and and preseason. This guy was there everything. I mean, huge seven foot guy who could stretch the floor a little bit, who was dominant on the interior. Like this kid was a stud, and all year it just felt like they were missing one piece to get them over the top because they played a lot of close games against the top tier teams in this league and just never got over the hump, right? You go through. The non-con, they lost to San Francisco by eight and Utah by five. Then in the league, they lost by 10 to Boise, four to Nevada, five in overtime to Boise, two to Wyoming, um, you know, three to UNLV, two, one in double overtime to San Diego State, four in overtime to Wyoming. I mean, seven in the conference tournament to San Diego State. They were right there in a lot of these games. They just couldn't get over the hump. I think part of that was that um, you lost a really, you know, critical piece early in the season. And Jamal Baker transferred from Kentucky and Arizona. Uh, they thought he'd be a big piece. 
He didn't play all that well when he did play, uh, but did not contribute at all in Mountain West play. Only played five games last season. Kind of wonder what could have been if he was there. But an interesting stat that I pulled from the Almanac that uh, Eli Becker, who wrote the Mountain West, pointed out. Under Justin Hudson, Fresno State is 35-6 and six against sub-500 Mountain West teams and 6-33 and 33 against above-500 conference foes, which well, is that's... wild. Yeah. I mean, is he, he, he is the perfect example of the guy who, like, n- he never screws up, right? He just never, like, never gets over the hump. And it makes sense, like, think about the team they had his first year that was kind of like that. Um, what was that, yeah, the 2019, when they had Braxton Huggins and Deshaun Taylor. Um, and then... You know, the COVID year, they were okay as they were kind of starting to get it going. Like, it's very interesting. Uh, I'm just, I'm very curious to see what they are without Robinson. I'm not bullish. Like, I know those, that record makes me think, oh, it's just, just pick them around 500. But Baker's been injury prone his whole career, has never really shown it even when he's been healthy. And the drop off from him, from Orlando Robinson to, Isaiah Moore and Eduardo Andre at the five is massive. Um, so Isaiah, Isaiah Moore is good. Yes, but Orlando Robinson was the player? entire focal point of the team. He was, but, I mean, they're going to bring their, their four, four other starters back. The depth should be pretty good. You mentioned Baker. Joseph Hunter was a top 100 recruit. I believe Jordan Brinson was, like, a super highly rated the Juco recruit. So the, the one through four is fine. The, the, the crux of whether Fresno State um, can finish at the you know top three finish in the league or down at number nine is going to be Isaiah Moore and, and, and Andre. And I, 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 I saw Moore a lot at St. John's. He's very skilled. He blocked shots. He has, he has some skill, has some face-up game. Uh, but he was always kind of in and out of the lineup. He was in Anderson's doghouse. Um, so that's that's the real key is can they get a fully actualized Isaiah Moore here at the five? Yeah. I agree. I, I have Fresno 122nd nationally, um, ninth in the conference. So I'm not super in, but I don't. It feels wrong, but someone has to get picked ninth, you know? Yes, uh, I have Fresno State 94th, which is sixth. Yeah. Boom. All right, let's move on to our next team, which is Utah State, the most interesting team in college basketball a season ago. The number, uh, the the least lucky team for Ken Palm um, a season ago. I don't think that's actually true, but if you go through it, it's because they won some blow, massive blowouts and they lost some really close games. They beat New Mexico State by 27. That was a tournament team that won a game in the tournament, right? They beat. San Diego State by 18. They beat Nevada on the road by 29. They beat um, New Mexico by 25. Right? I mean, they they blew some teams away. And on the the same plane, they lost a lot of close games. They lost by two to three to UC Davis, two to St. Mary's, two to Air Force, five to Colorado State, two to Wyoming, three to Boise, two to two to Wyoming again. I mean. Again, you don't want to make excuses. Obviously, you are who your record says you are. But this was not that far away from being a really special team. Now, they do lose Justin Bean, double-double guy, really, really impactful player. 
got better every year, became a great stretch four, which really wasn't his game the first few seasons of his collegiate career. They'll miss him. But there's talent here to be interesting. Um, you know, bring back Ryland Jones, bring back RJ Idle Rock, um, bring back Sean Barristow, and then a couple of transfers who I think will really help them in the front court. Taylor Funk, stretch four uh, from St. Joe's. Isaac Johnson uh, comes in from Oregon, who is in that center mix, was a really highly rated recruit out of high school. And then Daniel Aiken, who you may remember was the center for UMBC uh, in 20, 2018 when they beat Virginia in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he has come in well-traveled, was a freshman on that team, worked his way up at UMBC, went to Cal Baptist a season ago, and now has one more year he's using it with his former coach, Ryan Odom. But those guys should help them up front. And I think this is a solid group. I just don't think it – there's nothing that, like, excites me. There's nothing, There's nothing like, next level about this. No, and they're, they're firmly in, in this three through nine mix. I put them just one spot ahead of Fresno State. Um, kind of similar to Fresno State, right? They're losing the kind of the anchor of their team, right, with, a, with a Justin Bean. But they're bringing back a lot of the surrounding core. And I, I, I think I like Utah State's surrounding core better, like Ryland Jones. Well, wasn't great last year, but between him and Ashworth, Idle Rock, they have a lot of guys who can create shots and hit shots. Barso had a good year last year. Funk had a, a really great shooting year in the A-10 for St. Joe's. Um, and, and some of these guys like a Max Shulga or a um, uh, um, Shulga especially, he, he, he's one who, I, who I've seen mentioned as one of these international guys who um, got some buzz that hasn't shown out on the court yet. So maybe we'll see some of that from them. But Really, it comes down to how this kind of front court meshes with the turning perimeter four or five guys. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, do you like, did you like Isaac Johnson and the Lily Psalm in Oregon last year? I never really felt like I, I never really felt like it moved the needle either way. I don't even remember seeing Isaac Johnson at Oregon. I remember he played in Maui or in Vegas when I was there. And I was like, oh, who's that guy? Because I was hoping to see Nathan Biddle. And then Isaac Johnson played over him. And I was like, oh, good to know. I mean, the whole year he played 14 games at five minutes a game. So he played 70 minutes the whole season. And now bigs take longer to develop, but he was on a Mormon mission for two years, right? So he's older. Yes. Um, And if if I remember correctly – Trevin Dorius is back, right? Yeah, I have him on my depth chart. He, he was a solid defensive center. Watching him. You love the defensive center, Brad. Come I on. do. Just the big, huge guy that can just wall up. Got to have it. Every team needs one. But, uh, yeah, that's all I have on Utah State. I'm fifth out west. All right. That brings us towards this bottom tier in this conference. Um so we'll try to work a little bit quicker. Nevada, uh, probably probably one of the five most disappointing teams in the sport a season ago. They had at-large buzz. I don't think either of us thought they were going to quite get there, but we thought they'd be in the mix. I think I had them NIT. But... Yeah, I think I had them in the late 50s, and it fell off the rails. Chemistry was awful. They started with four losses in five games, including 
to Santa Clara and San Diego and South Dakota State. Again, none of those losses at a vacuum other than the San Diego one is that dreadful, but to lose them all was just a huge momentum killer. And they never really got it back. Lost five or six straight games at one point in conference play, went six and 12 in the league overall. Real concerns, I think, started that maybe Steve Alford isn't the guy. And oh crap, we gave this guy a 10 year contract with basically no ability to get out of it on either side. Um, but Sherfield's gone. He was there, kind of everything a point guard. Desmond Cambridge gone uh, at the two. Uh, and also Warren Washington, who started for them as center. Uh, Cambridge and Washington off to Arizona State. Sherfield off to Oklahoma. They do bring back Will Baker, um, who had a nice nice first year uh, with the Wolfpack. They also bring back some younger players like Keenan Blackshear and Trey Coleman, who should be in the rotation. Uh, but I think a lot is riding on some of these transfers um, and them providing a little bit better chemistry and fit. Uh, they're what they had a season ago. Hunter McIntosh in from Elon. He should be the point guard. Jared Lucas from Oregon State. This is a good get. Really good shooter. Was great in the NCAA tournament for them two years ago. He should be their leading scorer and start at the two. And then I know there's excitement about some of these younger. Uh, they, they brought in another transfer, Tyler Powell from Seton Hall, who could be in the mix. But there's some excitement about some of these younger players, especially guys like Trey Pettigrew, uh, who could potentially be in the mix in the backcourt from day one. But I have a hard time imagining it's going to be such a disaster as it was a season ago, but the roster is clearly worse to the point where I don't think this is necessarily, you know, this is not a roster I think of in the top half of the league by any stretch. So I, I put Nevada ninth and I generously included them in my three to nine grouping. Cause I think there are reasons for optimism. You mentioned Lucas as a shooter and, you know, come from the PAC 12, albeit for a horrendous PAC 12 team. But the year um, before, they were not a horrendous Pac-12 team, and Lucas was pretty good. Very true. And, you know, it, I'm pretty sure McIntosh was, like, a pretty good recruit for Elon when they signed him. Guy like Blackshear being, like, a year two transfer. Will Will Baker is super skilled, and he was a former top 50 recruit uh, when he went to Texas. And, you know, Powell was a top 150. You know, people forgot that Seton Hall was, like, rolling last year until Bryce Aiken got hurt um, and he was completely sidelined at, at at Seton Hall but he was a top 150 supposed to be a 3 and D good athlete um, so he should factor in the rotation at, at uh, some point as well so the, the, there is talent here the fact that they were so disappointing last year and they lost some guys off that team um, and some of the teams ahead of them like your Boise Fresno Utah State they're bringing back some of the core, you know, some of the supporting cast from last year. Uh, it, it's tough to put Nevada over those teams when they have comparable, but probably a little worse talent. Uh, so that's why I have them ninth and outside the top 100. I put them eighth, 113th nationally. All right, New Mexico, the last interesting team in this conference. No offense, Air Force. No offense, San Jose State. We will mention you guys just. Maybe not in quite the depth. New Mexico, 13 and 19 in year one, started 0 and 7 in the league, started to kind of turn it a little bit down the stretch, had a big late win over Wyoming that I think could be kind of a momentum builder into the offseason. They did find some, you know, building block type guys, namely Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn, both in from the portal. Neither was overly efficient, but both guys can really play with the ball in their hands and create and ball screens. This offense was up and down. 
fast paced. They let those two guys really create, and they were solid. House is also a very good defender. Mashburn, uh, House, I was surprised by how good a scorer he was, but uh, him and Mashburn could both really get one. And then Jay Allen Tovar was in the mix as well. I think he'll be a contributor uh, this season as well. Javante Johnson uh, was a really nice piece and kind of a glue guy wing role. Uh, expect him to be right in the rotation yet again. Um, but what they really lacked was defense and size. They were outside the top 200 in total defense uh, for Ken Palm. They gave up 54% at the, uh, on twos, 314th nationally. This thing was a wreck uh, defensively. And I think they, they think they've addressed that. They added um, two guys in Josiah Alec from UMKC, Morris Udeze from Wichita, who are proven contributors, proven commodities who should certainly help. Um, I don't necessarily think of either, particularly Udeze, who's the five, as a rim protector. Um, but I think just having a big man you can trust who's a little bit physical and can you know, move his body around like Udeze can um, will certainly Im- improve things for them defensively. Uh, and also, I mean, offensively, I think Udeze is a weapon in this league. He could score on the block and, and be really productive. So um, I do like this kind of starting five that's developing and do not sleep on the freshmen they have coming in from California, Donovan Dent. He's a guy that they're very excited about, a high upside kid that could really contribute, I think, uh, in year one for, for the Lobos. Yeah, Dent is a pretty highly rated recruit for the Mountain West. I think he's top 150. Um, and you mentioned that the house scoring output uh, being a major surprise. Yeah, at, at Arizona State, he was a defensive blue guy, and he comes to New Mexico and just lighting the world on fire. I I, I love the Morris Udazi ad, especially with how, how the big man market's going or, or how, how it went, especially mid to late off season or mid to late transfer portal season. A bunch of high major teams could have used Morris Udazi. I mean, he was a good, solid player on, on some, some pretty good Wichita State teams over the years. Helps to helps be able to make some moves in the uh, NIL world. Absolutely. And yet he's he's not like the rim protector per se. He's a big physical guy. Um, pretty good offensive rebounding numbers most of his time at Wichita State. Uh, and, and that's the style. Big physical crash the glass with those two scoring guards, some solid pieces around them coming back from the year prior. Uh, I I think that this should be a top 100 team. I agree. Now, I, w- I, I think on paper you could make a case that they have some like dark horse tournament, you know, at large potential. I just wish they were better last year. Right. Like, and I know we don't want to just anchor it, but like it's asking a lot of Morris who does and just Alec to turn you from, you know, ugly to at large. Right. I mean, if you think about even comparing to like Wyoming under Linder in year one or, um, I think that's probably the best example with like Marcus Williams and Maldo and Ike. Like they were young and they were kind of figuring out, but they were over 500. Like Sim was really bad at points. And I, if they if they had shown if this team had went 17 and 16 last year, I'd probably be like drinking some like sneaky New Mexico at large Kool Aid. I just can't quite get there. Yeah, I, I have them fourth in the Mountain West nationally. I have them 88th, but I'm not. I, I don't think that they have as much tournament upside as UNLV. Ooh. I think, yeah. I think UNLV has the highest upside of any team outside of San Diego State and Wyoming. 
I have them fourth in the Mountain West, and I have them 80, 81st nationally. Ooh, next up, next? Air, Air Force. Air Force won 11 games last year. They started 7-1. and one. They beat Utah State to start league play. They had very few highlights after that. Uh, they're going to grind it out. They're going to play Princeton. Um, they lose A.J. Walker, who was the most known player on Utah State, both because he was probably the best player and because he briefly hit the portal and was recruited by everyone and decided to go back. But he is gone now for good. Um, they've got some good, like, younger players. Jake Heidbretter, Ethan Taylor. Um, those are guys that they're going to need to really take the next step. I have a hard time seeing this team getting out of the bottom two. But, you know, could they go from winning three or four league games to five or six? Yeah, that, that's conceivable. Sure. I, I think they're probably last, right? I have them uh, above San Jose, I believe. Oh, San, San Jose, though, has confirmed that, which is cool. Air Force, you, like, you just know the transfers, so. They're 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 yes. one seven Air, Air Force is one seventy three in preseason tournament. And they're two thirty five in preseason pop. No, there are two hundred in preseason tournament. Oh, this is this is outdated then. Well, I'm I'm on it right now unless because on my I'm spreadsheets on are outdated is what I'm saying. Yeah. I have these from like last like during the summer, so there might have been some tweaks. The Air Air Force two hundred, San Jose State two twenty eight. I don't remember where they were in Ken Palm. I did look it up. They were, they were one spot apart in Ken Palm. They're 235 and 236. Speaking of the transfers, though, I mean, San, yes, San, Jose, San Jose, State, Jose. Yep. They have Tibet Goriner from Arizona. Yep. Who was there last Diallo. year? Yes. And so it was Ibrahim Diallo from Ohio State. It's yep. um, Sage Tolbert from Temple. Not a very exciting group of transfers, but they are transfers. They are down well, transfers. Diallo Diallo was very good for them, and then got hurt, and that that they fell apart around them. It's hard to know um, how much that was falling apart, uh, and that was falling apart because of no Diallo, and how much that was falling apart because they started playing Mountain West games. It's probably mostly the Mountain West games, but it is notable. Um, they have a really good player in Omari Moore, like a 15-5-4 guy. Um, big 6-6 six, six guy. He's he's one of those guys that's probably going to get like a summer league deal uh, in a year. And people go, oh, well, how, how did San Jose State get a pro? They need they need help. I mean, this is an uphill battle. We talked about when Tim Miles was the job. Like, kudos to him. Wanted to get back in the league. Great place to live. Not a ton of pressure. Why can't they, they get more transfers and better transfers? So the place is known as dumpy. There's no fan support, no energy around it. Transfers I mean, don't they, care. Transfers want to play. They've gotten decent transfers. I think that's the point, right? But you're also you're constantly chasing it, right? Like they're like what like do you, do you think they should be beating uh like they like wh- what kid would ever turn down New Mexico or UNLV for San Jose State? What kid would well, ever turn down Colorado transfers. State? Huh? They don't need those transfers. 
Which kid? What, what, which kid are they recruiting then? They can't get Isaiah Moore. Why would they go to San Jose when they go to Fresno? They couldn't get, like... Um, I'll look I'll, I'll up with a full list of, of guys who should... Oh, how about um, Kyle Cuffey next year? From Duke? From, from Kansas. I mean, he has okay, no, yeah, right. he has no yeah. connection other Duke than... Duke Jalen Blakes. Then he's going to really want to play next year. I'm pretty sure. There. I'm pretty sure if if he's, he's open to playing, he's yeah. from where? To New Jersey. I'm pretty sure if he's open to playing the Mountain West, Colorado State would love to have. New Mexico would love to have. Right? That's the problem. How about John Christopoulos next year? Good God, we're not doing this. <laughs> you started. You said names the transfers, and that that is a bad thing to tell me to do. I know. Telling me to name college basketball is. players is not going to end well. No, our, our, our podcast is like the living embodiment of the uh, the tweet that goes around like every month of like dudes could just sit around and name random athletes for hours and never get bored. It's basically just that that's the CBB Central podcast right there, which serves as a good transition to go into our second league for this episode, which is the WCC. Um, obviously, Gonzaga at the top, um, but got an at-large bid from St. Mary's last year and an at-large bid from San Francisco a season ago. Also had a first-round pick in this league with Jalen Williams uh, going from Santa Clara in the lottery, which is a really cool deal. So um, the league, again, there hasn't been some massive, like, overhaul or huge improvement in that, you know, three through through ten group that I think everyone has been hoping for over the years. But uh, individually, teams have kind of jumped up and jumped down, and that has made things at least interesting. Uh, in a league that is dominated by Gonzaga. They're just outpacing everyone else by so much, it doesn't matter. Uh, we'll start with the Zags, Brad, uh, who we've talked about, obviously, at length throughout the offseason, so I don't think we need to do too much on the roster and such, but obviously Timmy back, Rajir Bolton back, Strother back, uh, Nolan Hickman will be a really critical piece, and then some of the transfers with um, the big kid from LSU, Afton Reed, uh, and Malachi Smith, who comes in from Chattanooga, uh, and will be in the mix in the backcourt. I know I have Gonzaga second nationally. I forget where you put Gonzaga. Number one. That's right. You're you're in every year. They can't lose two thirds of the games they play. So make so make the case why Gonzaga is the number one team in the country, or why Gonzaga is the best chance to win the national title. I don't know if you believe that, but make the case for me. Right. I'm I'm trying to pick who's who who's going to finish number one, but they. I mean, they have as good of a chance as anyone to win the national title when you look at they have one of the best players in the country, Andrew Timmy, who is super skilled. He's adding to his game every year. They have NBA-level talent. With guys like Strother on the wing, who took a big jump last year. People really like Nolan Hickman, who might not even start for them. I thought he looked really good last year. He can shoot. He can play with the ball in his hands. One of the two. Great, great combo guard. Uh, they're 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 bringing bringing in and bringing back veterans guys like Malachi Smith who've done it on very good Chattanooga teams, Rizier Bolton, um, who shed the the stupid label that people like to throw around that he's not that people on bad teams just aren't inherently winners. Um, but he changed completely how he plays. Right, because he was on a good team. <laughs> okay, no, but if you watch the Penn State team that he played on, that was not horrible. He was a chucker. And 
magically he's on he's on the great team and he, he reigns it in. He's he, he's shooting the ball. He's playing well. Um, their their front court is incredibly deep with different looks. Get a more skilled look with Efton Reed. Ben Gregg can really stretch the floor. Anton Watson's a great defensive big. The, the bench is, is one of the strongest benches in the country. And you know people people on, on, on Twitter were 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 saying, okay, that doesn't really matter because it doesn't matter if if you have a great tenth man, which is true if you know who the tenth man is going to be. But when you have all these options off the bench and you're you're making a prediction, and you say Gonzaga is going to be number one, and one of your reasonings is, oh, I think um, Efton Reed's going to have a huge year, and Efton Reed plays ten minutes a game. And Gonzaga is still number one because they have three other top 50 recruits coming off the bench that all stepped up instead. Um, so between the NBA talent, having one of the best players in the country, they should have great guard play. They have shooting, incredible depth, versatile front court. I think the Zags have it all. Yeah, so a couple things here. Um Number one is, is the options, right? I mean, theoretically, they could play a lot with four, four guards with Strother at the four. And I like that look a lot because it gives tons of space for Timmy to operate on the block. But they also could play two bigs a lot. And Anton Watson has probably been, he's been this like mythical man where his analytics, or his computer ratings and everything make him out to be like God because he's hyper-efficient, just like an elite role player. Uh, and has never really been asked to do anything more. And I think if Efton Reed hadn't joined this team, and especially if Drew Timmy hadn't come back, this was going to be kind of Watson's time. And now, because you have both of those guys still there, Watson can still kind of do his own thing. But I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they wound up starting him and playing too big a good amount, Watson and Timmy together. And also, they're going to have to find a way to get Efton Reed on the floor because – that guy's good enough to play at this level. He's good enough to be anywhere. I mean, he was an elite recruit, was in the mix at the freshman at LSU on a you know, tournament team. So how does that work out? Does it is it just straight too big? Does Timmy have to stretch it more? I know that was something he showed off at the combine, but I don't think you're going to count on Timmy being like a one-made-three-a-game type of guy. I think he has that ability, but I don't think it's worth counting on because there's just too much variance and volatility with that. Um but I, I am really curious to see if we get more of that or more more of the small ball. I'm also really curious where Hunter Salas fits into this whole equation because, again, top 20 recruit. He definitely struggled, right? I thought Hickman looked good, but Salas really struggled to adjust to college basketball. I think it's, you know, he's another guy that would have potentially had a huge role if someone like Strother had stayed in the draft, if someone like Bolton had stayed in the professional ranks. But instead, they both come back. They're not necessarily needed as much uh or they don't necessarily need salas as much um and i'm curious where he fits in does he wind up in, in the rotation does he wind up transferring kind of where how, how does that shake out gonzaga's had very good luck kind of holding on to guys like this and developing them and eventually giving them those opportunities so look i i don't, I don't have huge questions you kind of need hickman to step up and be a high high level point guard i think for this team to reach its ceiling most of me is i don't think of malachi smith as that type of player i think smith's gonna be better as a glue guy i think he'll be like he'll be better than aaron cook but worse than andrew nempard there's a big uh craterous gap in between those two two players but um you know i think i think somewhere in between where like he can contribute like 
he'd be like the best bench unit guy in the country. He's better than that. But he's which is what Cook was, but he's not necessarily like a guy you're just gonna like run all your offense through at point guard the way they could run it through like an Empire or some of the other point guards they've had in Spokane over the years. And I think the Zags will go big because that's that's their advantage, especially over the rest of the conference. I mean, obviously Timmy's one of the best players in the country. I mean, Reed is what seven foot. Watson is six ten and athletic. Ben Gregg is great size, great recruit, can shoot it. Even Caden Perry, who I think is pretty buried. He he's known as like an athletic big as well. So between, between the size and the, and the athleticism of the front court, and in just in terms of getting everybody their share of minutes, I think Gonzaga is going to go big. Yeah, I agree with that. Once again, they'll be tested. PK85. See you there. I'll, I will be on my sofa. I will not be in Oregon. But You're going to enjoy it, though. You, you are actually going to Oregon? That is the plan. Uh, there, there are two brackets. So is each bracket in a different gym? Uh, I believe I haven't looked that far. There are so there are two arenas. So the way it's actually it's very unique. Like the NBA arena, and then there's like the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, and they're both like next to each other. Uh, and so they play at both of those. I don't know exactly the way it shakes out in terms of is it all one bracket in one gym, all one bracket in the other, or if it's a we put the prime game, like we put the championship games on the you know. Portland Trailblazers court and we put the you know Portland versus you know Oregon State seventh place game on the uh, the shitty court is that the the way it operates I don't know but um, I'm excited it should be cool a lot of a uh, lot of great teams a lot of great coaches uh, kind of a basketball lovers uh, dream oasis uh, should we move on to the Gales of St Mary's or, or did they not come in second? Uh, I'm like 99% sure they came in second. I'm going to check the standings here. So we do that accuracy. They did come in second. They 12 and 3, uh, 26 and 8 overall, won an NCAA tournament game before going down to UCLA. Um, great year, right? Um, I think came in with a lot to prove after struggling the previous year offensively. And they, they made. Big strides. Tommy Cousy stepped up and was the point guard that I think you, you and I both questioned whether he could be. Um, they, you know, guy Logan Johnson made the jump offensively that I think we both kind of said would come, would never come. We've been waiting for it year over year. Um, they do lose some critical pieces. Obviously, Cousy is gone. Um, they lose uh, Dan Fotu. They lose their center and Matthias Toss, just this massive center, huge body. Um, but they do bring back some key contributors. Uh, namely, they bring back uh, Logan Johnson for a COVID year, as well as Alex Dukas and Kyle Bowen, Mitchell Saxon uh, back as well. So some experience. Uh, Johnson really made strides, was already one of the better defenders in the league and became a really good offensive kind of slashing guard. Um, so I think the main question here, right, like we know they're going to defend – they have two centers who can block shots in Saxon and Mason Forbes, who transferred from Harvard. 
we know the two through four are proven dudes, Johnson, Dukas, and Bowen. It's really just the point guard spot. They've got two options there. Marcellonis, the uh, sophomore from Lithuania. Obviously, his dad is royalty there. Um, Showed some flashes last year, but definitely more of a prober. Hasn't gotten a a very European point guard. Uh, You want to see him be more decisive with his reads, get downhill, attack the rim, uh, finish at the cup. Um, And we've seen guys develop into that over time. I think Kuzi. Uh, for much of his career, what was just a prober, not again, not a European guy, but I think you saw some more kind of stylistically struggles and got really got really got better. Uh, and they're also, I think, have an opportunity to rely on Aiden Mahaney, the freshman from Cal- uh, I believe from California, really highly regarded kid. I wouldn't be stunned if he wants to be starting at point guard. He'll certainly be in the mix in the rotation. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they use that spot, but you know. This is a benefit of the doubt program with a roster that's good enough that I think you feel pretty good about them being right in that NCAA tournament picture. And I have them in the top 40 nationally. I have them, um, or excuse me, I have them 43rd, just outside the top 40 nationally, but in the tournament. I do not. I have them at 61. Wow. Only in the NIT. You're, you're, you've always been a St. Mary's hater, though, because they don't have enough talent. So I've. I've I've been a Logan Johnson guy since his brief tenure at Cincinnati. Oh, me too. Um, but so the point guard spot, yeah. When, when I watched March Alonis on U19, I I viewed him as as, as kind of like the prober that you were talking about. I, I I didn't see what made him such a hype for crew. This, this was um, other than his last name, right? The, he had committed to St. Mary's. That point, I was watching. I believe it was Lithuania and Canada, um, and I didn't, I didn't see anything that differentiated him from the other non-college prospects on his team. But he has a great pedigree. People seem to like him as a recruit, and we'll see with more responsibility how he looks this year. Um, people have also been hyping up Aid Mahaney, who was a top 150 recruit. Um, so that'll be something to watch. And then they're going from Toss to backup, who played seven minutes a game last year. Um, that's that's something to watch. I mean, most you know we go through this every, every time this happens now because it's so rare. Uh, but most teams don't let the dude who played seven minutes a game be the start of the next year. Um, I, I think listening to, I believe it was th- three men weave. They either talked him up or said that Randy Bennett was talking him up. Um, so, so well, something to watch. Yeah, but I mean, they I, were, I mean, um, Matt, Saxon played considerable minutes in that Gonzaga game, if you recall, that they won. Okay, he played 16 minutes in that game. He had seven points and four rebounds. He was really physical. He like he gave Chet trouble. Like that that was a really like eye opening performance. So while he didn't you know play a ton, I do think there's enough there for me to feel decent about him as a center. So in in summation why I have been as an NIT team, I think the center position Pretty steep drop off um, in meeting Saxon to fill a void of a guy who averaged, you know, team team leading points per game and was a former top 100 recruit. And then also I'm not bullish on the point guard situation, at least this year. Um, we'll see how Marcellonis and Haney look in year one, but I think I'm selling the, the St. Mary's point guard stock for this year. Fair enough. Guess who came in third of the WCC last year? The way you're phrasing it, 
Is it not San Francisco? It's not San Francisco. Was it? Was it Portland? No. I thought maybe this was a Shante Leggins. Uh, oh, there, there will be Shante Leggins propaganda. Just give it time, my friend. Oh, so it's got to be BYU then. No. Oh my goodness. Santa Clara, ten and five. Santa Clara. Jalen Williams. Yeah. Well, part of it was that they're they dodged a second game against. They only played fifteen league games instead of sixteen, uh, and I think they they lost both to San Francisco. So that like the tiebreakers were weird. It was like a whole deal. But regardless, they did ten palm standings for the tournament. I know it's crazy. But anyway, twenty one wins last year. This is the best year they've had under Herb Sendek. Um, best year the program has had in quite some time. And they've been solid. They've just kind of been spinning the tires in the middle of pack of the league. And last year was their best year, which you'd expect with Williams. But as you've noticed many times, it is so challenging, so, so challenging to recover from the early pro departure. And I think they had an inkling that maybe they'd have to go through the process with Williams. But the way he blew up, was certainly not something they could have expected in the preseason to be a first-round pick. I mean, he went from 27% from three to 39, uh, really remade his game as a playmaker. Um, this was a guy who absolutely blew up. And, you know, what a great thing for their program, but a huge loss for them this season. Um, they do bring back Keyshawn Justice, the combo forward. He'll be a big piece uh, of, of how they do things. But... You know, they're going to need some help from some of these newcomers like Brandon Podziemski, who was a high scoring high school player, went to Illinois for a year, didn't really play. Big time shooter. Carlos Marshall, who transfers in from Tennessee State, uh, I believe. Um, their point guard spots a question. I think Jordan Williams is probably the starter there. Uh, but more questions I think, than answers. Senex got a pretty high ceiling uh, in terms of you know his history. They've rarely stunk. Uh, and I don't think they will because they have justice and pods and guys like that. But I, I view this team more in the middle bottom than the middle top. I have them seventh in the league. Uh, and, and nationally, I have them in that. They're outside the top 100. I have them, I think. Um, where do I have them? Hold on. Let me, I have them 132nd there. Sorry, I just find them. Yeah, I I have them eighth. But I don't think, I don't think that they're going to be that bad. I mean. Right. Podziemski is a great roll of the dice because he never got a look at Illinois. And usually the shooters who don't play at all as freshmen probably means that they weren't very good defensively. Uh, but in high school, especially down the stretch, he was a huge late stock riser, not only as a shooter, but as like a shot maker as well. A guy who could play with the ball in his hands a little bit. Um, so that'll be interesting to see if they kind of let him loose a little bit more. And you mentioned that they have, some of their core coming back as well. Um, so that's that's going to be an interesting watch. But, you know, you, if you look at the team that Steve Lavin put together, they get Pepperdine as a couple of serious high-end players at, at the top of their roster. Um, I I think eighth in being a solid team, sol- you know, like, like you mentioned, being ranked like 130th or in that range, I think that's a... Maybe a little disappointing year for Santa Clara, but after the past year with Jalen Williams, but it's it 
it's a solid year, especially considering the circumstances. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to think they'll be that much better unless you're really buying some of these newcomers. And I don't think that, you know, like I like pods, but like, is Brandon Podziemski your second best player? I think it's not impossible if he was just, you know, totally buried at, at Illinois and just wasn't given the but chance. But Illinois was begging for a guy to step up off the bench. I mean, they kept trying different dudes. They got Goody chances. and Melendez and stuff. Yeah. Um, so maybe this will be a better fit with more freedom and he'll develop. I think this is the right level for him. But I just think like, I don't buy him being the second best player on the team, my point. For like a non – for a top 100 team at least. But anyway, um, I don't think I have too much more to say on them. Now we get to fourth place, which is San Francisco, which had a banner year under Todd Golden. Um, first team in 20 years in this conference to get that large bid outside of St. Mary's, BYU, and Gonzaga. Um, you know, first best team the program's had in 25-plus years. Really capitalized on a veteran group with Bouye, with Khalil Shabazz, and Yawen Masalski, who was – really the difference maker. I don't think that anyone saw coming to be as good as he was. I think people thought he had a chance to be good, um, but he became a first-team all-league guy and was really, really, really impactful for them up front. Chris Gerlifson gets the job to replace him. Internal hire. This is a guy who is a lifer in in this, uh, in mid-major basketball. Has been a really well-respected assistant for a long time was on staff at Hawaii, on, at staff at San Diego, um, was a guy that I think a lot of people thought would be in the mix at San Diego when that job opened. And then obviously San Francisco happened and gave him an opportunity to be a head coach. Um, and I think, Brad, we both agree, he's done a very nice job kind of piecing this roster together with it's Ghost Roberts. What's up? It's a, it's a pretty good roster, especially in the backcourt. Right. Con- considering what they lost right, with Bouye, with uncertainty regarding Shabazz, um, with Masalski and Tepegon and the new coach, right? It wouldn't have been surprising if this thing was like barren. And instead, Shabazz back, got Ghost Roberts double-digit score at Washington State, Marcus Williams, who, you know, seemed like things went sour at AM. They got better once he got out of the rotation, which is never a good time. But look, he was the Mountain West rookie of the year two years ago. And he was a good, you know, a legitimate piece for AM. Like this is that's not a bad get by any stretch. Tony Rocatch from Sandy UC San Diego is like a playmaking power forward. Um they've got some some question marks at the five. You could play Zane Meeks there. He's definitely a stretch big, not necessarily a guy with some with 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 the thumping ability. Um the, the true centers are Saba Gigi Beria from Georgia Tech, seven footer who played a prolific prep and Voldemir Markovetsky who was a big downgrade from Masalski uh, when he subbed in last season. So I do think they're going to be a little bit smaller. That might be an issue, particularly against Gonzaga, but they're going to be hard to guard. These three guards are really tough. And then Rishwain as well, who I should mention, he had a nice year last year. It was really, really tough. Um, make shots, can really, really make shots. Uh, they've got those four guys. They've got Rokach and Kunin uh, and Zane Meeks at kind of that four spot. I like this group. I, I don't, I have them. Nationally, I have them like 82nd. Or no, excuse me, I have them 86th. It feels a little low, but I just think you're not replacing Bouye. Maybe a little bit concerned with Williams and Ghost not necessarily being as, as big winners. Um, 
as Bouye was, obviously. But all things considered, I think this thing if this thing wins 20 games and is, you know, top 100 nationally, Chris Gerlison did a very nice job. Yeah, I have an 89th, but I think I might want to move them up. I'm considering it. The center spot's the only thing that holds me back. If, if you told me Gigi Berry is like a league average WCC center, sign me up. Like, this is a top 75 team. Which, I mean, he was a top 125 recruit. And now I think right, but he was one of these seven-footers that's never really done anything in his life. Yeah. And, you know, they could go smaller playing two of these four men together. I mean, they got three of them, right, with Meeks, Noonan, and... and yeah, but Coonan is skinny, skinny. Rokach is 6'6", six, 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 and Meeks is a shooter. They're going to have to get these guys on the floor because they got... They're going to have to zone up. They'll have to do something, score, yeah. And they have Rich Wayne as well from Boston College, um, who was solid last year. You know what? Yeah, maybe, I mean, it's a good group. Yeah, maybe second thought, maybe I shouldn't jump to move them up too much. Um, this might be a case of just kind of falling, falling in love with these teams that have interesting talent level for a mid-major. But, like, if, if I'm moving them ahead of, like, NC State and DePaul, I think I may have lost my way a little bit. But definitely in in the mix to be, like, a good, solid, top 90 mid-major team. Yeah. Especially love love this backcourt. You know, this could be a, a a difference maker. We know what Marcus Williams did at Wyoming. Um, didn't perform as expected in the, in the SEC at Texas A&M. Shabazz was obviously great last year for the Dons, and then Ghost Roberts played a ton in the Pac-12. So, really, really interesting mix here. If you have your stretch fours, and your skilled forwards, your scoring guards, and then your unproven centers. Yes, absolutely. All right, BYU. BYU was kind of cruising along, uh, and then hit a road patch in late January and never really recovered. Lost four straight games, came back and really struggled with Loyola Marymount and Pepperdine. Just weren't the same team. Fall short of the NCAA tournament. There are a lot of times where I will, you know, go to bat for the mid-majors and say, oh, they deserved it. Yeah, they were really good. They just, you know, blew one game they shouldn't have blown. I did not feel that way with BYU. I, I did not feel sad at all to not see them in the NCAA tournament. Um, as much as good as Barcelo has been, as good as as much as I like guys like Gideon George. This team was disappointing and underwhelming down the stretch. As good as they were early, they had a great win. Obviously, they blew out Oregon. They beat Utah. They built quite a resume. Won at Missouri State, beat Utah State. Um, you know, there was a lot here. Had really no bad losses until um, until January, until late January. But it all kind of came crashing down pretty quickly. Uh, and by the end, it was just not pretty. You wonder maybe chemistry issues were at play here. Um, Mark Pope has really marketed this thing as the best locker room in America. I wonder if the locker room was maybe not the best locker room in America for the first uh, for the first time in, in February and March. Uh, but the talent level is is solid in terms of the guys they brought in. It's not great, but I think Rudy Williams will be a very solid starting point guard for them coming in from um, Coastal Carolina, also had a stop at Kansas State and junior and in junior college. Uh, former top 75 recruit Jackson Robinson, who's on his third school, bringing Noah Waterman, big-time shooter, uh, who's made stops at D- Detroit and Niagara. Uh, and then they're going to need some jumps from guys like Fusini Treor and Gideon George. Gideon is a really good kind of 3-and-D guy, tested the portal. And Treor was one of the bright spots for them 
down the stretch last year. Big, physical, undersized, but kind of the thick uh, four-man slash five-man who overtook Caleb Lohner down the stretch. Can you explain how in the world BYU is 44th in Ken Palm? Preseason? Yeah. Mark Pope, baby. I, I, I mean, to me, that is the most egregious thing of all of all the Kempom stuff this year. Then fade it. I, I, I did last year. I was right. I was so close to being right about Virginia Tech too. Go gamble, Brad. I mean, go open up a, a Bovada account and start uh, just just hammering BYU's opponents. I should. I would have just doing last year if I just did BYU and Providence, I'd be rich. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think this team is that talented at all. Like I, I, I don't think this team is any more talented than like Fresno State and Utah State and like the Mount West. Those, those kind of middle of the pack Mount West teams that we discussed, Boise State. You know, Rudy Williams. I mean, he was good, at, good at Coastal Carolina, but I mean, how many of these mid-major point guards? That, that's, that's not a differentiator for them. Their best players that from from last year are gone, and, and they replace them with, you know, Diane Jackson Robinson, who, who hasn't done anything yet. Uh, a couple different stops. Ho- hopefully now he, he's he's found the right the right spot. Uh, probably went too high going to Arkansas last time. Around. Should never have went to Arkansas. Yeah, he should have went to like the WCC or Mountain West the first time. And then so they have a lot of these guys who were like solid role player wing shooters. I know Trevor Nell's hurt. Um, you got Richie Saunders, Spencer Johnson. I mentioned Noah, Noah Waterman was like an interesting player at Detroit with skill set, but he wasn't super productive. Their front court is solid. He's a, legi- he's a legit elite shooter. But like, do you feel comfortable with like Fuseni Treor being your best player or like Rudy Williams being your best player on a good team? So I have him 71st. Maybe that's a little high. I think so. I think my thing is this, right? Like, I do still think Mark Pope's a really, really high level coach, right? I mean, look, last year wasn't great, but the year before, you know, they were a top 20 Ken Pop team with Alex Barcelo as their best player. But it was so overrated. That, that was so inflated. I was banging that drum all. All year, and then they got so much respect last year based off of that high finish flame out. And now this year, it looks like they're getting even more respect based on their roster level. That they, they don't have an Alex Barcelo player level player this year. But go on, sorry. So I guess my view is this, right? Like I buy Pope dating back. I mean, obviously BYU. Okay, whether it's real or not, right? Like. For some reason, these like like Mark Pope's teams have performed very highly in Ken Palm. I mean, he had three. He had he had two basically top 100 teams at Utah Valley. It's a huge deal. Like, I think Williams is a very good player. I think he'll be a, a, a good starting point guard. Maybe not all league, but good. I think Fusini Treor is a good. I think he'll be all league. I think he'll push for that at least. I think the three and D potential with George and Jackson Robinson is really solid. I think Atiki, Ali Atiki will be a rim protector for, for this group. Um, Waterman can shoot. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm with you 
that like 44 is wild. Like 44 is truly a best case scenario. But I mean, 71st doesn't feel crazy to me, given what Mark Pope has proven. I wouldn't call that. I wouldn't call 71 crazy. Or I guess I have a tier cut off. I think it's 73, so I would say 74 is not crazy. But I don't think that that this talent level is any different than those middle of the pack Mount West teams that we were talking about as fringe top. I also don't think the talent level is significantly worse than San Francisco. And I, I I have San Francisco at 89. I was looking to move them up maybe like 82. I think the talent level is about the same. And Mark Pope's more proven coach than Chris Gerlison. San, San Fran's backcourt's way better, though. Yes. Well, it's more proven, yeah. I I think right now, gun to my head, I'm taking all three of Shabazz, Ghost Roberts, and Marcus Williams. I would take Rudy Williams definitely over Ghost. Really? Yeah. He's bigger. He can really play make. It was really good for Coastal. But anyway. Again, as as we discussed earlier, BYU, San Diego State, first Friday of the year, the 11th. Yeah. I think the time is still... Well, so so, so that'll be great, right? So so if, if San Diego State whacks BYU, then everyone will go crazy on the San Diego hype train, San Diego State hype train, and you could just say, no, BYU sucks. Perfect. Or or I'm wrong either way. Either San Diego State wins, and I go, oh, San Diego State has the best resume in the country. Or San Diego State loses, and it's like, oh, you didn't like BYU? We just beat a top 25 team. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Portland, who won 19 games last year. There are lots of statistics that can sum up why what Portland did in year one under Shante Leggins was so dang impressive. But my favorite one is that in five seasons under Terry Porter, Portland won seven total WCC games. And in year one as head coach, with no returning players, Literally was left nothing. The cupboard was bare. Starting a walk-on for much of the season in Chica and Duca. This team won seven league games. And this, and by the way, I mean, look, they, they were kind of your traditional rebuild, like beating up on the bye games and losing, you know, all the conference games for the first month of the, the WCC season. And then they turned it up. They won at San Francisco. They n- nearly beat San Francisco in their own gym. Um, they blew the doors off of San Diego. Um, you know, this team had some spunk, and they played um, Santa Clara really tight at the end of the year. They put up, uh, I believe, yeah, they put up 89 points. They just gave up 102. Um, that was kind of their failing was they couldn't totally really guard anyone. But this team was playing like a top 100 team down the stretch. And maybe the talent level is, doesn't jump off the page, but they bring back – Virtually everyone. Chris Austin from Fordham was a great scorer for them. Tyler Robertson, you know, a, a stat sheet stuffer. They've got these, they really built it. We talked about it last year, Brad, these big shooting forwards with Christian Showland and Moses Wood. Wood had an amazing year. He shot 43% from three. Um, and then they hit the portal. Not great talent coming in, Brad, but I think three guys who can really help them and fill roles. And Wyatt Lowell, who's a JUCO guy, was at BYU. Joey St. Pierre, who was a rotation center at Milwaukee, 
but he, the, the reason they liked him was um, he could block shots and he could stretch the floor. And then they got Alden Applewhite, uh, who was you know top you know three star recruit, uh, went to Mississippi State out of high school. That's like a nice athletic swing. Um, he played at Arizona Compass Prep for current Portland assistant Jeremy Pope. So on, um, sorry, I was making the making that change with San Francisco. Um, on Moses Wood last yes. year in conference play, 15 points, seven rebounds, and 46% from three on five attempts a game. Woo, sniper. I have, yeah, so I, I, I have Portland sixth. I have them just outside the top 100. But you, you, you were talking coach bump with Mark Pope. I mean, I mean, what, what a hire. I mean, Portland snagging Shante Leggins after a strong NCAA term, tournament game against Kansas in that 4-13 game. And then he, he goes. And, and that has, deal, that deal is done, by the way, before that tournament game. I don't know if yeah, I should say that if any Eastern Washington fans are listening, but that deal is like basically side sealed delivered. And if not, he could have probably gotten in the mix at better jobs, right? That was a that was an eyeball opening game, that Kansas game. And, and, and he's a early, great offensive mind. He's a guy that should absolutely be in the mix for Pac-12 jobs. Um, like Cal, he he spent time at Cal in his undergrad days. I think he transferred either in or out, so it wasn't all four years, but. Like if Cal opens, that's a slam dunk. If you know Stanford or Arizona State, Washington, if those schools were to interview him, you absolutely have to. I would absolutely interview him. I don't know if he's your first choice for those, but he's really, really good. A budding superstar in this thing. Oregon State would be a great place to hire him um, because he's proven he can do more, more, more with less. I mean, last year is a great example of it. And I can't quite get to the top 100 just because when you look at the roster, it's so much worse than what you're comparing to when you're looking at, you know, I have like Wichita State and Pittsburgh uh, as 99 and 100. Like, it's so much worse than that. But, man, this team was freaking spunky last year. And I'm excited. I'm excited for them in PK85 because they're going to beat somebody and it's going to put the world on notice, I think, a little bit of what Shantae can be as a coach. And it's going to be cool. Portland is a... Incredibly difficult job. Um, yeah, so I, I have them sixth in the league outside the top 100. I have them, I believe, fifth in the league, just outside the top 100. Got four teams left. Who's next? Next up is San Diego, who I believe is your fifth place team, Brad. Yes, they, they have a fun roster. Very talented. They, they, they have a roster that's like begging you to put them in the top 100. Then you have to like take a step back and be like, all right. They had a lot of cool transfers. Like Eric Williams was like the sixth best player on a Pac-12 team. Jaden Delaire was like what third best player on a Pac-12 team. They, they, they didn't add like the level of player that would put you into like the NIT or something. Uh, but they certainly added guys that'll make you a lot more fun. Yeah, w- Williams and Delaire could have easily stayed high major. Proven yeah. starting caliber guys. Williams can really score. He was a 15-point-a-game player at Duquesne back in the day. I, I think you'll see him too. get the usage. Yeah, I mean, they could go 3-4-5 Williams-Delaire-Erlington, play small ball. I don't know if they will. I'm curious how it all works out. Um, 
you know, I have some chemistry concerns. I have some concerns with Lavin, who comes in as the head coach. It's been a while for him. And, you know, the way he had to build this roster, I think, lends itself at times to malcontent. So I'm kind of curious if this thing holds together. But look, I mean, the point guard spot may be a little bit of a question mark, but if they can do like Sigu, Sissoho, Jawara, Eric Williams, Jaden Delaire, Marcellus Arlington, two through five, they also had Nick Lynch, 6'11 kid from uh, Lehigh in the portal. He could be a, you know in the mix of center. They've got Juco guys like Benji Pierre and Deuce Turner who could be in the mix. Um, on the wing, Gultakin. Uh, who was at AM to begin his career, he could be in the mix. Like, this group is talented. Like, I think talent-wise, this group compares very favorably to BYU and San Francisco. Definitely. I just – I have more concerns, I think, with how it will all fit together. Yeah. We, we touched on that. I mean, they added three high-major role guys who are proven. Goltigid's a good, good flyer. Uh, he – seven a game last year if i'm looking at this right uh known as a shooter that didn't shoot it great last year wayne wayne mckinney was a solid recruit um so the talent is certainly there to come in third in the league uh, but we are selling a little, little bit of the steve lavin resurgence he is known to kind of screw up some very talented teams shout out to the old jakar sampson sir dominic pointer d'angelo harrison Bryce Jordan teams, Chris Obekba. I mean, those teams were loaded with talent um, and, and for the most part amounted to very little St. John's. All right. So I move on to Pacific, which somehow came in eighth in this league last season, despite being horrendous. Didn't they beat BYU? They beat BYU. I remember watching that game, being like, BYU, please don't lose this game. BYU, please don't lose this game. They also played a random game in February against the USC. I think it's like a COVID makeup and only lost by six, which I remember. So, but they also got blown out a lot. They were horrendous on offense. Um, I think we talked in the preseason about how, um, like, Damon Stoudemire had been, like, anointed. It's like, oh, my gosh, this guy's elite because of the job he's doing to just make Pacific even, like, close to relevant, right? And they're replacing him with Leonard. They replaced him with Leonard Perry, who had fallen off the rails in Idaho 15 years ago. And obviously, there are examples of guys who've turned it around. I mean, Porter Mosier got fired at one point in his career. There's a lot of guys who've been fired and turned it around. But this was not a hire that, like, on paper was made for any other reason than he was already in the building. Um, and I think we were concerned that there'd be a pretty big drop off, and there was. Um, now, the, you know, it's not all all bad on paper. You know, they, they added a couple of transfers. Uh, Tyler Beard from Georgetown, Donovan Williams, um, Keelan Boone from Oklahoma State. Only one Boone from they got. I know, crazy. They got Jordan Ivy Curry, scoring guard from UTSA. So I think the hope would be that that type of group could could turn it a little bit here uh, to go with Nick Blake and, and some pieces they have. But I'm certainly not overwhelmed by the talent and i think that the talent level compares um poorly when you compare it to loyal marymount and pepperdine who were also at the bottom of the league a season ago so i think the team should be probably a little bit improved but i don't think that they will uh seriously challenge 
but that way. Yeah, I, I, I put them last. I mean, the transfers that they got were pretty good. I mean, Keelan Boone was a rotation player at Oklahoma State. Um, Ty, Tyler Beard was, I think, top 150 recruit. Um, was not very good for George on horrendous Georgetown team last year. Uh, but they, they got some guys with multiple years of eligibility. I've seen Nick Blake a lot because uh, he was on the same prep team as Alan Breed. Um, I, I did not like him as a high major or a, you know, a, a, a four-star recruit that he was ranked at the time. I didn't see that at all, but he averaged 11 points a game in conference last year. Shot the ball okay. He, he has good size. I think he could be you know, really great pe- – Piece for Pacific moving forward. I think, you know, Blake, Boone, Williams, Beard, one through four. I mean, that's that's pretty solid. Um, but I still have, I mean, they're I'm uh, jumping up to like compared to yeah. Santa Clara's, who I have eighth. So. Right. I'm jumping up to 233, um, which is like 60 spots ahead of, ahead of last year. Don't really have much more on Pacific. Shall we move on to Loyola Marymount, which would rival Nevada for most disappointing team in college basketball since we do. Go for it. Uh, 11-18, lost at one point 10 straight games in conference play. Yeah, they lost some close ones, but they also just weren't competitive. Lost opening night to Chattanooga, which was not the bad loss we thought it was at the time, but it just went downhill for in a hurry. Uh for, for this team, all the things we thought about them after year one, Stan Johnson was kind of the anointed young black coach. They had, um, you know, Eli Scott back and, you know, the transfer point guard Cam Shelton was going to bring the offense to another year and this and that. And the other thing, it just did not work at all. This was a huge bust, a huge disappointment. Uh, and now we pick up the pieces. Now, does that mean Stan Johnson can't coach? Obviously not. Does that mean that this thing is, more abound forever? No, obviously not. But they need to turn it a little bit this year. And um, it did, they, they didn't completely rework this thing. They didn't, like, tear it to the studs and rebuild. But they did have some pieces that I think could help. Their defense was a, a, a train wreck last year, particularly on the interior. They brought in two transfer centers, who I think should help there in Michael Graham from Elon, who's six foot nine, but a kind of springy athlete. Uh, and then Rick Asanza, one of these seven-footers who's never played basketball before um, from Oklahoma. Those guys could help as rim protectors. Um, Shelton is back. He could start a point guard, but Noah Tates is in. He could push him coming in from Stanford. Uh, and then they also added some shooting with Justin Orange, uh from Ohio State, who is one of those guys that will test the theory of, like, is he truly just a shooter who can't do anything else, who will not scale down well because he won't be surrounded by as much talent, or will he scale up? Or really scaled scale down really well because now he could do a little bit beyond just shoot the ball. I think well first I I think I saw a Rothstein tweet the other day that said Arns wasn't gonna be in the starting lineup. Seems like a bad bad omen. Yeah. Because I, I was about to say, I don't think he'll show you more skill set going down to, to the WCC, but I, th- I I would have said he was gonna play a lot. And he was going to shoot it, and he was just going to be the floor spacing, and maybe average ten points a game just firing threes. Um, and you know that could still be the case, but um, I I have Loyola ninth, head of Pacific. Where do you have them? Um, 
I believe I had them ninth as well. Let me confirm that because I have to go from one end of the spreadsheet to the other. But yes, that's correct. Ninth. Again, I think they'll be a lot better. Or at least they'll be more competitive. I don't think like the bottom of this league was just a pushover every night last year. There were a lot of just gimme games. I don't think it'll be like that this year. But I, I don't think this is going to massively jump and get them back in the top three or four. Um, which brings us to Pepperdine. Speaking of non-competitive, I mean, there were a lot of blowouts here. They didn't. They they only they didn't play a one. They didn't play a single-digit game against the top half of the league until February when they hung around with the shell of BYU. Um, it was just ugly. I mean, they lost by games. They lost by 20 on opening night to Rice, and it just went downhill from there. Now that said, I mean, for a true rebuilding season, this was about as good as it gets because not only did you get three building blocks and Mike Mitchell, the point guard, Houston Mallett, the uh, kind of combo shooter wing, and Maxwell Lewis, the athletic combo forward who has NBA upside, you kept them all. I mean, the big risk in this day and age, Brad, that we talk about all the time is, oh, shit, our guys got too good too fast. And if Maxwell Lewis had entered the portal, everyone and their mother would have wanted them. If Houston Mallett had entered the portal, everyone would have wanted them. Um, so those three guys give you a real nice kind of core to build around. They also add a transfer from USC in Bubakar Koulibaly, uh, who could start at center for them, hopefully help a defense that was just beyond repair a season ago. They were so young, you understand that. Um, but they had a younger big man, Carson Basham, who could also be in the mix uh, at that five spot. But I think Koulibaly has a potential inside track, maybe to get in the mix there and help them with the rim protection it's just a tricky thing to how high to go because on paper, like you like those three guys. And I think Mallet and Lewis in particular really, really scale up at any level, but they were so freaking bad. They were awful. I mean, they, they were irretrievably irredeemably bad. Yeah. I I'm putting them seventh just because of that top end talent. You mentioned Maxwell Lewis, you know, he was one of the chameleon BMX guys. Yeah, chameleon BX. That was going to change college basketball forever. It was going to end it. Um, now he's off of Pepperdine, and I've, like like you, I've seen some draft Twitter people talk about him as an interesting flyer. Um, Houston Mallet with his size and versatility at the guard spot. He's in for another great year. And Mike Mitchell, too. I think, he, I think both Mallet and Mitchell were pretty good recruits, and obviously Lewis as well. Um, so that that threesome there, you know, I, I think that's enough to get them to the middle of the league and come in seventh. Yeah, I put them eighth. It was between, it was 50-50 between them and Santa Clara, and I just took the other day. I just felt like Romar is necessarily known for maximizing talent when he has it. So not at all. Clean eight. So, um, big picture here, you only have one at-large caliber team in this league. Yes. I think St. Mary's will be. So I think probably two bids. Maybe it's so hard to steal one because Gonzaga being there. Um, coaching wise, I mean, I don't, I don't see any hot seat in this league. Like Stan Johnson in year three, is he really getting fired? No. I don't, I don't see that at all. Mark Few will be on, or not Mark Few. Good God. Mark Pope will be on jump list. Johnson, if he turns it, will quickly be back on jump list. Shante Leggins will be on jump list. Um, you know, could there be a retirement in here? I don't even really think so. Like, is Sendek that old? 
I'm not sure. He's been around forever. Yeah, because he was at NC State. He was at Arizona State. Yeah, Herb Sanders is only 59, which does not strike you as retirement age. So I I think that this could be a very quiet offseason, or very quiet cycle, unless Pope and or Leggins take other jobs. And we forgot to do it with the Mountain West, so I'll just kind of go through Right, because those guys, I think, in the jumping pecking order would be behind Medved and Linder. Theoretically, yes. I agree with that. Well, Pope wouldn't be. Pope is super marketable. Pope Pope would be as hot a name as there is if he's open to any. But I don't know that he is. I think Pope will be Well, they're also going to the Big 12. Correct. Correct. And that's next year? Yes. And the, the WCC has not replaced them, correct? That's correct. And then in a couple of years, we'll have Gonzaga to the Big East. This will be an eight, eight team league. <laughs> they have to bite the bullet and invite Grand Canyon. Probably so. But uh, quickly on the Mountain West, coaching wise, another league, I don't think there's a real hot seat here. Like, no one, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see a single coach who could get fired in this league. No, because Alford what, would be the only year one. Two for Patino, year two for Kruger. Yeah, Alford's the only one, and his contract makes that untenable. So obviously, right, you have to monitor a jump for Nico. You could monitor a jump for Dutcher. You could obviously see a jump with Linder. I think Linder, if you were ranking those, it would be ranked Linder, Medved, uh, Dutcher in terms of most likely to leave for another job. Um, not best coach, but. Most likely for another job would be Linder, Medved, Dutcher, uh, but we shall see. That is all I had. All righty, let's wrap it up. We've got still got to get to a mid-major preview, and we got to do our best bets, and then we got to preview the season. Let's do this thing, baby. See you next week.